Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our city campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. That I can be here with you this morning. It is exciting to be here. And uh, just to help you get to know me a little bit better, uh, let me tell you about my family. As I said, married to Tim, we've got three beautiful kids. A uh, picture should come up. Uh, Saxon is our eldest. He is nine. Zaylee is seven. And Quinn, who was with me just before, she is four. And every day to her is Christmas Day. So that was not at Christmas time, but she was wearing her Christmas dress. She fell asleep listening to Christmas music last night. So that is uh, Quinn. Now, so Saxon, Zaylee and Quinn... Tim and I have a fascination with odd letters and we featured them in our children's names, uh, which a lot of people comment on. But I absolutely adore each one of my kids. They are all very unique, but I love each one of them. But what's become apparent to me as I have parented them over their lives so far is that they have varying abilities to listen and obey the things that Tim and I tell them as their parents. So Zaylee, our middle child, she, she does struggle to obey, but her greatest struggle is that she actually just doesn't listen. We are frequently hearing her say, but mum, I just didn't hear you say that. Or but mum, I just didn't know. Now Quinn, our youngest, she is an absolute fantastic listener, but frequently she refuses to be obedient. Now, we know she listens because she gives everyone else guidance on the things that need to be done. You'll frequently hear her saying to the other kids, hey kids, mum told you to turn off your devices while she sits there, you know, looking at the screen. She listens, but she struggles to obey. And Saxon, our eldest, he's a classic eldest child. Most of the time, he just seems to listen and obey. We've only ever had to tell him once that in the mornings, in the morning routine, you get up, you have breakfast, you get dressed, pack your bag, and then you're ready to go for school. And nearly every morning without fail, he is ready at least 30 minutes before anyone else. Sometimes he even takes himself to the car and just sits in the car waiting for everyone else to get ready because he just listens and obeys. Now, the reason that I want my kids to listen and obey is because I love them. And I want them to live their best lives. And as parents, Tim and I, we give them these instructions. We share our lived wisdom with them. We give them guidance and boundaries, not because we're hard taskmasters or we want to ruin all their fun. It's because we love them and we want the best for them. And we actually have some insight because of our lived wisdom into the pitfalls and problems into some of the choices they're making. Like when Zaylee was four and we were at this playground 
And I said to her, when you go on that swingy thing, be careful, it looks dangerous. Make sure you hold on. In her excitement, I don't think she heard a word that I said. And so really fast, she ran over and she went really, really fast on the swingy thing. And a few minutes later, she was the kid lying on the floor screaming and she'd broken her arm. And I was the mum going, who's that kid screaming? <laughs> oh, that was mine. Or it's like when we sit down to dinner and we tell Quinn, hey, Quinn, if you're going to get dessert, you're going to have to eat everything on your plate. She tells the other kids throughout the whole meal, hey, kids, remember, you've got to eat everything on your plate to get dessert while sitting there refusing to do that, kicking and screaming. And Tim and I, we don't enforce this on them because we like our dinner times filled with whinging and screaming, although it does add a new dynamic to things. It's because we know that a diet of Pop-Tarts and pizza and ice cream, which is what she would choose if she was allowed to, is not the best thing for Quinn's health. So we give our kids these instructions and wisdom and guidance on how to navigate their lives because we love them. And in the same way, God, the one who created us, the one who knows us and loves us, he knows what is best for us. And he has given us instructions. He's given us guidance. He's given us wisdom in his word. And in some of the early chapters in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is teaching about what it looks like to follow him. And if you've been in church for a while, you'll know that this is the Sermon on the Mount. But it's this collection of teachings where Jesus is talking about what it looks like to live with kingdom values. And Jesus covers a lot of ground in these three chapters. He talks about what it looks like to live with salt and light. He talks about the importance of loving your enemies. He talks about what it looks like to give to the needy. There's instructions on what it looks like to pray and to fast. He talks about how we shouldn't judge others and that's just the start of it. There is so much more in there as well. So that's Matthew 5, 6 and 7 and then Jesus actually wraps up this section of teaching in Matthew 7 in verse 24 by using this analogy that we're going to sit in this morning. So if you've got your Bibles, feel free to open up. But Matthew chapter 7 verse 24 says this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand." The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. And we'll stop there for now. See, this analogy that Jesus is using from a purely practical point of view, it makes sense to us. If we're going to build a house, it would make sense to build it on a solid foundation. But when it comes to our lives, we can find ourselves building on a whole bunch of different foundations. And just like in this story that Jesus tells, no matter what foundation we build our lives on, whether it's on the rock or whether it's on the sand, what we see in this analogy is that both of these men, they experience 
the rain. They experience wind and storms that come and beat against their house. And every one of us here this morning, in some time in our lives, we've experienced these storms when things haven't gone the way that we expected, when we've experienced loss or illness. Maybe we've gone through a broken relationship and it just feels like the world is out to get us. Jesus says to his disciples, if you hear these words of mine, if you listen to my teachings and you actually don't just listen to them, but put them into practice, then you are going to build your life on a solid foundation. So when the rain and the winds and the storm come, and we know that they do, we can stay standing and not crumble and fall. So in our constantly changing world, we need to let God's unchanging word be our solid foundation. It's almost like a a very simple equation. Read God's word, listen, plus put it into practice, obey, will give us a solid foundation. It's very simple, right? Completely. We know that it's not that simple. And this morning, we're actually going to look at two reasons why this seemingly simple equation can actually be challenging for us as followers of Jesus to live out. And then we're going to land just with some really practical ways that we can try to do this in our lives. And so the first reason we may find it challenging to build our lives on the solid foundation is that God's word... uh, solid foundation, is that God's, I've just lost my place for a second. Uh, One of the reasons we can find it challenging is because our circumstance, our culture, and sometimes even our own conscience can tell us that God wouldn't actually want the best for us. And let's start with our circumstance. I don't know what your life looks like right now or what it's looked like in the past or what it will look like in the future, but I do know that we live in a broken world. And because of that, all of us at some point will experience pain and heartbreak, loss, maybe sickness. And when we are surrounded by these things, it can be really hard for us to believe that God loves us and wants the best for us. But Scripture reminds us that God pours out his love on us, even in the midst of our pain and our suffering. Paul, a man who knew great suffering and great persecution, he writes this in Romans 5. He says, We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now this verse, when you're not sitting in a place of pain and suffering, is quite encouraging. But when you are in the midst of a really difficult place, when you are in the midst of a place where pain and suffering is around you, this is actually a really unhelpful verse. Because the last thing you want someone saying to you is, oh, Well, at least this suffering you're going through, it's going to produce endurance and uh, that'll help your character and maybe even you'll find some hope in there. We don't want to hear that if we're in a place of suffering. 
But it does remind us that if we can look not just to the circumstances that surround us, but if in the midst of what we are going through, we can lift our eyes and look and see God, we might start to see that God is still at work despite what is going on around us. And then in the midst of this place, God, by his Holy Spirit, continues to pour out his love on us. But one of the reasons I think that we find it hard to actually think and believe this is because our culture, the culture that surrounds us, is living with a completely different focus. God and his word is no longer the guiding authority in our culture. See, in Matthew 7, this passage that we've just read about building on a solid foundation, the next verse, verse 28, it says this. It says, When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. The people who are there listening to the words of Jesus, listening to Jesus teach, they are amazed because the way he taught, it wasn't like the others they had heard, the way that he said things, what he was saying. It wasn't like the other teachers. It says he preached with one who had authority. And I'm sure there were many people in the world at that time sprouting new ideas and new ways of thinking, people that they could have listened to. But as they listen to Jesus, they see that he is different. His words, his teachings, they are not like the others around. Jesus is speaking truth and he speaks that truth with authority. And we may struggle to believe that God word has authority in our lives because our culture will say that self has authority, not God. John Mark Comer in his new book, uh, Live No Lies, he talks about this culture that surrounds us and he says, self is the new God, the new spiritual authority, the new morality. We live in a world that lets us define our own truth. It says that you are the only one that can determine what is best for you, not someone else and definitely not God, only you. And when we are surrounded with that cultural catch cry, we can find ourselves asking the question, does God really want the best for me? And this is actually a similar thought pattern that the serpent prompted Eve to have in the Garden of Eden. And we're going to look back there to see what happens. So Genesis 3, uh, starting in the middle of verse 1, it says, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. See, the serpent comes to Eve with a really simple yet powerful idea. He plants this seed of doubt in her mind about whether what God says is true. And he says to her, if you choose your own way, if you choose to live your own way, then you will be better off. And the devil continues to use the same tactic today. 
And we battle this questioning in our own conscience. There's these thoughts that come into our mind. Hey, look at what's happening around me. A loving God couldn't possibly want the best for me. If I just choose to go my own way, if I just make my own path, then I will be better off. Our culture encourages us to choose our own path. And sometimes we're even told that living like this will make us happier, give us freedom. Yet statistics would say that it isn't making us happier or healthier, more connected. Now, as followers of Jesus, we're not promised an easy life. We're not promised a happier life. But God does promise that his presence will be with us whatever we go through. And it's his presence that can bring us peace and joy and freedom. And so this morning, I want to ask you, do you believe that God wants the best for you? Because if you do, then it will make sense that the Word of God would be key in navigating your life. Therefore, you're going to be more inclined to read it and try to let it transform your heart and life. But if you don't, if you don't believe that God actually wants the best for you, then no wonder you're going to find it hard to read God's Word and put it into practice. This passage we've read in Matthew reminds us that if we don't build our lives on the unchanging Word of God, then when the rains come, when the winds blows, when the storms beat against our houses, they will start to crumble. And so this morning, if you feel like things around you are crumbling, I want to remind you that although your circumstance Maybe even the culture that is surrounding you and even your own conscience might be leaving you to think, how on earth could God want the best for me? I want to remind you that the one who created you, the one who loves you, he does know what is best for you. And what that, part of what that looks like is actually walking with him each and every day, no matter what you're going through. And so in our constantly changing world, we need to let God's unchanging word be the solid foundation. So the first reason is we actually struggle to believe that God wants the best for us. The second reason we may struggle to have this as our solid foundation is that the Bible is not actually that easy to read and understand. And I know you probably don't want to hear one of the pastors saying that, but it's true. You know, if only it was a simple guidebook that said just head straight for 100 metres, turn left, then turn right, and you'll end up at your destination. That I would be able to follow, maybe. You know, I struggle to follow my um, directions sometimes, but I did get here to the city today, so yay for me. But you only have to open up God's Word and say that you're starting reading from the beginning to realise that it's not that simple. And it does start with this beautiful creation story. But even just a few chapters in, you start to see these names which are really hard to pronounce and you're not really sure what they have to do with you. And then if you keep flicking through a few more books, you'll get to the book of Leviticus. And as you read that, you'll realise that there's a lot of things that it says in there that we as the church and followers of Jesus, we're not doing right now. So 
I don't get what that means about listening and obeying. And then you'll keep going a little bit further and you'll start to see some really good plot lines for some thrillers and uh, even some just real full-on action movies. And you wonder, how on earth is that in the Bible? But the reason the Bible can be challenging for us to read is because it's not just one book. It's actually a collection of 66 books and they're not organised in chronological order like we would think that they should be. They're actually ordered in a way to help tell the greater story that all of these 66 books are trying to tell, yet each story, each book is actually still telling its own story at the same time. It's written by a whole bunch of different authors in a whole bunch of different genres There's poetry, wisdom, historical and legal narrative. There's letters, there's prophetic writings, there's apocalyptic and proclamation genres. And it was originally written not just in the one language that we read it in today, but in three different languages. And what we read today has been very thoughtfully uh, translated into our language by a whole bunch of Bible translators. And if this isn't enough to get our heads around, this book was written over an incredibly long time period, over 1,200 years. Now I am, and I'm going to give it away, as Andrew alluded to the fact I was 20 before, I think you'll guess that I'm not. I'm 35. And in my 35 short, let's just say it, short 35 years, so much change has happened. I remember when the internet came to my house. Imagine what the change would happen over a 1,200-year period. No wonder it can be overwhelming when we pick up God's Word and we try to start reading it and we don't understand it and we don't know how to put it into practice. But as a church... We believe in the authority of Scripture. We believe God's unchanging Word should be the foundation in our constantly changing Word. And so as a church, one of our values is to teach the Bible for every day. We want to help everyone discover timeless biblical truths And we don't want to just teach it in a way that helps people grow their understanding and increase their knowledge of the Bible. We want to teach the Bible in a way that brings transformation to people's hearts and lives. And so we don't want to just understand more about the Bible. We want to understand it and put it into practice. We want to listen to the Word of God and obey We want to let it transform our hearts and our lives. And this is not just a value that we as a church have. If we are to be, if we want to be fully devoted followers of Jesus, it is a value that we as Christians should have. Not just reading the Bible for information, but letting it transform our heart and our lives. And I just want to finish this morning just with some really practical things that if you've been reading the Bible for a long time, you probably already know. But if you are new to it, or maybe it's just a really good reminder for you, there's three, there's many things, but I'm just going to talk about three simple things that we can remember as we come to read God's Word that will, yes, help us grow in our understanding of God's Word, but also help us create space in our lives to let it transform our hearts. And so the first thing that we can do when we come to read Scripture 
is understand the setting that we find it in. And all these things are going to start with S, okay, to help you remember it. And so take, for instance, what we have read this morning in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. If we start to look at the setting of what we have read this morning, we find that it is in one of the Gospels, the book of Matthew. And you can ask some really simple questions to help you understand more of the setting of the passage that you're reading. Who is it written by? Who is it written to? And where does it fall in the grand narrative of Scripture? Now, I'm lucky because I've got my study Bible here today. So I don't have to look very far. I just have to flick to the front of Matthew. It tells me who wrote the book of Matthew. Ironically, it's Matthew. Doesn't always turn out that way when you uh, get it. Who is it written to? He is writing primarily to a Jewish audience. So as you start to read the Gospel of Matthew and you find things that maybe don't relate to our culture, it may relate to the Jewish culture, something that they would see, something that they would hear and they would understand instantly. And where does it fit in the grand narrative of Scripture? It is one of four accounts of Jesus' life where he lived on earth. As you Understand these things and kind of find out this information. It helps you bring something to the text that might actually allow God to speak something to you that may be different to what has happened previously. And you don't have to look too far to get this information. You might have a study Bible. You can even just Google, tell me something about the Gospel of Matthew. You know, it's that simple. The Bible Project puts out fantastic just summaries of each book of the Bible that can help you understand the setting of what you are reading in Scripture. So the first thing is helping you to understand more of the setting. The second thing which you can do is helping uh, you understand more of what is surrounding. And you'll see that I've already done that with us, what's happened in the book of Matthew today. You you look at the chapters that come before, you look at the chapters that come afterwards. We know that when in Matthew 7 it says, everyone who hears these words of mine, these words aren't just necessarily all the things that Jesus ever said. These words he's specifically writing to the people right then is the preaching that he's done on the Sermon on the Mount. And you'll see in chapter 8 just afterwards, you realise this kind of part of the story is coming to an end because it says they came down from the mountainside where they were and a new narrative carries on. So understanding the surrounding, what comes before, what comes afterwards, again, just helps us bring something more to the scripture that we are reading. And lastly, And possibly the most important thing to remember is that the Spirit can bring revelation to the Scripture. Although this is an ancient text, the same Spirit that was present at the time these things took place, the same Spirit that was present at the time these things were put onto paper is the same Spirit that is present with you as you read it. And it's the Spirit that brings revelation to ancient and timeless truths. And so before you start reading, pause and pray and ask the Holy Spirit to open up your heart and your eyes to see what he might be wanting to show you that day. And then as you're reading God's word, think to yourself, what is God trying to show me today? Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. And the psalmist who's writing it, he has a passion for God's word and how it impacts his life. In life. And in verse 105, 
He writes, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. As we read God's word, yes, it is an ancient text and it was originally written for a different audience. But because of God's spirit that is with us today, he still uses this unchanging word to guide us and lead us. And God has given us this book, not just as a history book, although it does tell us a lot about history. But as Paul writes in 2 Timothy 3, he says, All scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God has given us his word to help teach us, to help guide us, and to help equip us. He has given us wisdom on how we are to live his life, how we are to live our lives. And as we read God's word and let it transform our hearts, we will be equipped for everything that God is calling us to do. And the application for each one of us this morning is really simple. We need to make space in our lives to get into God's Word and not just read it, but let it transform our hearts. And so what I would love you to take away from this is just to make space and have a plan. And so what does it look like to make space in your life, to carve out space in your day? I know we all lead busy lives. And trust me when I tell you, I need to hear this just as much as anyone. But find a time that works for you. Put it in your diary. Put a reminder in your calendar. And I just want to encourage you this morning, it doesn't have to be the typical quiet time. I've grown up, I've had the blessing of growing up in a Christian family. And I always thought it was a must that you had to sit down and have this particular quiet moment when all the distractions were away to really connect and understand God's Word. But a couple of years ago, when I was in the thick of having young kids, I struggled to find that quiet time. I struggled to wake up before my kids and by the time my kids were in bed, I was exhausted. And so I just didn't have a designated quiet time. And as I sat down one morning to try and read God's Word, but I got interrupted. I was like, God, why do I even bother? And I just felt God say to me, you know what, Lauren? It's okay to have a noisy time. And that has actually revolutionised how I read the Bible. And so even this morning, as I sat down to open up God's Word, do we need to worry about that? Okay. Um, As I sat down, because I'm getting distracted right now, this is a noisy time. Thank you, God. Um, As I sat down this morning, I had Quinn run out and ask me probably 15 things to do while I was reading God's Word. And I remember thinking to myself, you know what, I have waited for the conditions to just be so right to sit down and read God's Word. And I felt God said, you don't need the conditions to be right. You just need to come and sit with me. And no matter what's happening around you, I can still speak to you. I know your heart. And so don't wait for it to be just right. Just make space. Open up God's Word. It might be while you're on the bus going to work. Maybe it's while you're driving, you have the audio Bible playing just to hear God's Word and filter it in your heart. Whatever you need to do to get in front of God's Word daily, make sure you do it. Find creative ways. Fill that void space that you have, like when you're driving. Maybe when you're finding it hard to go to sleep, because I've done that a few times and it does send you to sleep sometimes, so it can be helpful in a few ways. 
to make sure you're finding space in your day, in your week to get into God's Word. And the other thing I have found really helpful is to have a plan. There are so many tools that we can use to help us read the Bible. Bible reading plans, they're online. You can even get paper versions of them too. Amazing, I know. The Bible Project puts out a whole bunch of material that can help you as you read along. Audio Bible, sermons that unpack different scriptures, journaling. I used to have to like, you know, write in my Bible around stuff. Now they actually make Bibles where you can have space to write. It's amazing what happens these days. I feel like I'm so old saying this. But if you actually have a plan, if you are reading through something, it actually helps you stick to it. But what it also helps you do is not just open up and go, tick the box, I need to read it today. It actually helps you hear what God might wanna say to you that day. If you use journaling, it actually helps you reflect on the Scripture that you're reading. If you use a devotional, it might be someone else's reflection that actually allows God to speak right to your heart. So although God does speak as you just kind of go, God, what am I gonna read today? Open, point. He can speak like that. I have found that as I've had a plan, God continues to bring revelation to His Scripture. So make space and have a plan. We live in a constantly changing world. And if that was ever in doubt, the last two years has proven it to be true. And we don't know what the next two years will look like. But if in our constantly changing world, we can let God's Word be the solid foundation that we build our lives on. When the winds and the rains and the storms and the challenges come, we will be able to withstand them. And God's Word can be difficult for us to understand. And it's not a source of authority that our culture is looking to for wisdom or guidance, but all Scripture is God-breathed. And God has given it to us, not because He is a hard taskmaster and not because He wants to ruin all of our fun, but He's given it to us because He loves us and He wants the best for us. And His Word is here to guide us and lead us as we navigate our lives. Would you pray with me this morning? Loving Father, we thank You that You are a God who wants to be known. You do not want to be hidden and You have given us Your Word. You have given us Your Spirit to help make Yourself known. And so God, this morning, I just pray that You would continue to speak to each one of us about how we can make space in our lives to get into Your Word. God, I pray that where before there may have been difficulty in maybe understanding or finding a time or just a hesitancy to sit down with Your Word, God, I pray that right now that You would take away those walls and that You would allow us as people who want to be devoted followers of You, just help us develop a passion for Your Word. And God, as we sit in your Scriptures, 
May your Holy Spirit continue to reveal more of who you are to our hearts. God, may you start to just give us glimpses as to what needs to change in our lives so that we can become more like you. And God, when the world surrounding us is speaking a different message with a different focus, God, may we know how to stand firm on your Word and continue to speak your truth to those around us. God, we thank You that by Your Spirit, You are here right now and You are at work. God, we thank You and we love You. Amen. Amen. We're gonna just start, uh, I'd invite you to stand. We're gonna just continue to worship, continue to focus our attention on God. And as we do that, I just want you to think about how can you make space this week in your life? And what plan do you need to follow? There's a a verse in Romans 12. It's from the message version, but I just, I really think it speaks to what we've talked about. It says, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You will be changed from the inside out. Readily recognise what He wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. We have the chance right now to again, put our focus on God, to look to Him, to just praise Him. So why don't we take that moment to do that? I'm gonna be up, I think in a couple of minutes, just to lead us in another response as well. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If we can pray for you or you would like to take a further step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to connect with you. Please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au and click on Get Connected to let us know.